So today we're going to start a new series, and I mentioned it several months ago. We're going to go through the I Am sayings of Jesus, specifically in the Gospel of John. And so uh, these I Am sayings, um, there's seven or eight of them, depending on how you look at it. Um, and they're in uh, John's gospel, and they are ways that Jesus is explaining uh, who he is uh, to people. And so before we get to the gospel of John, flip back, and I hope you're in Exodus chapter 3, and we want to see why this phrase, I am, is of any significance at all. Um, should we really even care? Is it just two words that Jesus threw together? Um, and what, what I want us to see is that when Jesus uses the words I am, it is packed with lots of meaning, lots of significance that maybe, <clears throat> that maybe in our time we have a difficulty understanding because culturally when you're removed from some things, sometimes there's some meaning behind some words that a culture would pick up more than others. Uh, for example, in my lifetime, one of the biggest examples of this is that, um, that maybe in other times, or maybe even some of you younger people in the room, that it may not be as big of a deal, but if, if you were to look at me and, and just say the words, hey, we're having a, um, a, a memorial uh, service, and if, and if I said, what day? If you looked at me and said, September 11th, okay? Now listen, that, that's just one out of 365 days. Are you with me? Right? But notice in this culture, when I say the word September 11th, your head and your heart fill with emotion. And, and some of y'all, some of y'all may not, may not be old enough, but September 11th, I mean, I can, I can remember the, I could take you to, this is the spot I was standing. I could literally tell you, here's the clothes I was wearing. Uh, part of that reason is because it was cowboy week at school, and for some reason I had chose to dress as Don Johnson from the 1980s show. I'm not making this up. And so I remember I had on uh, uh, white uh, dress pants, I had on a teal uh, jacket uh, with a pink undershirt, and I had the sleeves rolled up. And this was Russell in high school, by the way. It's cowboy week, and Russell says Don Johnson. So anyways, that's, maybe that's part of the reason. But point being is that when there is a culture attached to a saying that I can go to some younger people and say September 11th, and I can go to someone older than me, and they will both have vastly different responses. Why is that? Because of what they've been through and because of what that <clears throat> date means to them. And, and listen, I could sit someone down, someone who's in uh, you know, junior high or high school right now, I could sit them down and explain to them the significance, and they would get it in part, wouldn't they? Uh, but the, it's really hard for, them to, for that date to really, really hit them. And so the same thing is true of Jesus when he is speaking uh, in the Gospel of John, when he says the words, I am to the first century Jew, their head and their heart are impacted, are completely affected with emotion and knowledge, all sorts of stuff. And so this phrase, I am, carries with it tremendous weight that, that we're going to have a little bit of difficulty understanding. Can we just admit that? 
Because we're, we're so far removed, time-wise, geographically-wise, even culturally-wise, right? In the same way that the next generation, the ne- you know, in, in, in 20 years, when we talk about September 11th, they're going to kind of get it, but they're kind of not. And they'll never get it the way we will. And so that's why, let me say that, that's why, and, and hear me say this, guys, that's why we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is why we have to have Jesus working in our hearts to transform, not, not just our minds, but to affect our hearts. This is why nothing nothing that we do here would be considered successful if God's Holy Spirit does not come in and affect us. Are you with me on that? In the same way that I can never, ever, ever get someone to understand September 11th, 2001, who wasn't there. If we're on our own, if there is not a work of God in our lives, we will never understand what's happening here. That's true when we study the book of uh, John. That's true when we look at Jesus as I am. That's also true anytime someone hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unless there is a work of the Holy Spirit impacting and colliding with their life, we're not going to have the response we need to have, right? And I don't know, <clears throat> my guess is everybody in this room is old enough that you have maybe heard some truth and it's hit your brain, but it didn't hit your heart. Have you all had that experience where you understand everything, but it still can't get to your heart? That's because that's the work of the Holy Spirit, that 13 inches to go from your brain to your heart. And for many of us, that's the longest, most difficult journey we'll ever make is getting information about Jesus from our head into actually impacting our hearts. And so that's why we must pray that the the Lord speaks to us this morning. So Exodus chapter 3, this is part of the background uh, of this phrase, I am, when Jesus says the words, I am. Um, Just start in verse 1. We'll just read for a little bit. So Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 is a very famous uh, section. My my chapter is titled Moses in the Burning Bush. And so I'll just start reading. Now Moses... was tending the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. This is such a wonderful physical illustration of the self-sufficiency of God. God needs nothing. He doesn't need fuel for his fire. Are you with me on that? Is that there's this image of, of God in this fire, but this fire did not need the bush. The fire did not need fuel to keep going completely self-sufficient. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face 
because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so God says, here is your mission. Here's what I want you to do. Verse uh, 11, what's the first word? Mine says, but Moses <laughs> uh, said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. This will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And so that is when God reveals his uh, more intimate name to Moses. He goes beyond his title and speaks of here's his name. This is why one of the names of God is the great I am. Why is this significant? And I, and I want you guys to hear this. It's not that he's saying I, I was and I will be and I am now. He's saying, I am. And, and so this is something we don't, it's probably impossible for us to truly understand on this side of heaven, but this idea that God doesn't see past, present, and future, but that God is past, and God is present, and God is future. And so his, one of his titles, one of his designations of his name is just simply, I am. And the thing about this saying, I even love this, is because in our world, anytime we use this phrase, I am, we are about to designate who we are, right? And, and part of when we say, this is who I am, we're also saying, this is who I am not, okay? So like, like this, if I say, I am a dad, what does that mean I'm not? Well, it means, uh, yeah, it means I'm not a mom. It means I'm not uh, childless. That's right. Or, or if I said this, um, I am a uh, nurse, what am I saying? Well, all these other professions, I'm not these things. Yes, this phrase, I am blank, is telling you this is what I am. But even when I have the statement, I am, at the same time, I'm also saying what I am not. And so even in that, there's significance that God says, I am, and that's it. Why? Because He is everything. Is that there, there is nothing that He is not. Are you with me on that? And, and so to the, to the Jewish people, this was their understanding of, of God is that he says, I am. And he doesn't say, I am now. He doesn't say, I am past, present. He says, I am. 
anything you need. I am completely self-sufficient, always there, always ready, will never leave you. I am. And so, remember, we're, we're trying to understand this culturally, is that this phrase, even the phrase I am, was a designated name for God, okay? Um, and so what we're going to see is that when Jesus comes along, is that he's going to do two things. When he's in, in the Gospel of John, we're going to hear him say, I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the door. He's going to say this over and over. And every time, as you guys are reading the Gospel of John this week and studying it, every time you see that phrase, I am, that is a declaration. Jesus saying two things. Number one, he's, he's saying, I am God. And number two, he's also revealing part of who he is, what he, who he truly is. And so you hear people say this sometimes, is that in the Gospels they say Jesus never claimed outright to be God. People say that. Yes, he did. He just did it in a first century Jewish way, right? He didn't do it in a 2020 American way. He 1,000% claimed to be God. And that's very important. Every time you see this phrase, I am, he's referencing I am God in the flesh. And he's also revealing um, himself to us. And what he does is, this is one thing we have to at least appreciate about the Lord, is that he's very physical in the way he explains things to us. You know, um, what he's going to say, um, he explains himself. He's revealing who Jesus is in these physical ways because when he paints a physical picture, and I hope you recognize this, there's always these layers of understanding. Y'all know what I mean, right? And, and so in an Eastern versus Western mindset, which we talk about that a lot, we are all Western mindsets. Our concern is more with doing rather than being, okay? Start looking for this and you'll see it ever. It's not wrong, it's just different. This is why our emphasis is on doing rather than being. This is why anytime you introduce yourself to someone, you say, hey, my name is Rick. And what's the first question people ask? What do you do? Because we're trying to establish who they are. We're trying to establish, does this guy have any authority over me? What does he do? And so even in the Western mindset, if I were to look at you and say, I want you to describe God. Most of the time, we're going to uh, describe him in terms of what he does. Okay, think about this. If I said, how would you describe God? If I had a whiteboard and we started writing it down, people would probably say things like powerful, right? And by the way, these are all correct. People would probably say uh, loving. Uh, people would all, all probably say all-knowing, all-powerful, right? These are all good things. But notice these are all about what he does in the Eastern mindset in the original first century remember we're trying to get people back to understand september 11th doesn't just mean september 11th when jesus says i am it is loaded with implications in the eastern mindset when they would say describe god they would do stuff like this they'd say a rock or, or they would say describe god he's like a strong tower or they would say describe god and they'd say man he's like He's like this eagle that, 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 that there is shelter under his wings, right? And, and this is why even when you think of kind of the, the Eastern mindset is you think of, and this is God's intention, 
is that with all of these explanations, God is a rock, do you see that there's these layers of meaning? Do you see that? That we can dig in. What does that mean that God is like this rock, like this giant rock? You know, I don't know if you've ever spent any time in um, like Colorado or any, any places that have these things called hills or mountains. Have y'all ever seen these? Did you know that there's places you drive and like the road goes up and the road goes down? And Kinsey and I sometimes will be places and we're like, we just went over a hill. Like this is incredible. They have those. Um, and, and the last time we were in uh, Colorado, it's pretty cool because, you know, they have these, the, the landscape is very vast and it's very rocky. That's why they call it the Rockies. I just got that. I'm not kidding. The Rockies. And so these mountains are made of these giant rocks. And have you ever looked, and I mean, some of these, you can see a distinct boulder, right? It's not a hill. It's a distinct boulder. There are some that are literally the size of this room. And it's not a pile of gravel, (laughs) East Texas. It's not a pile of rocks. It is a rock. And, and, and think about this. Again, we're just trying to put context to when Jesus says, I am. When we think of a rock, think about that boulder. Now think about this for a second. Because like, here's the thing. If I go outside, like I can see these trees, and I can picture 30 years ago a lot of these trees weren't here, right? I can go back and say, someone put that tree there. This grass, okay. I can even go look at the landscape. We can change the landscape, Right? We can even create ponds, we can create lakes, we can create dams. But have you ever thought about this? Guys, that rock, who put that rock there? Who, who decided this rock is going here? Nobody. That rock has always been there. And here's what I know. In a thousand years, you know where that rock is going to be? <laughs> right there. And so notice, we've spent 90 seconds on God as a rock. Does your understanding of the Lord feel a little bit deeper than it was 90 seconds ago? Nobody, listen to me, nobody tells that rock what to do. Nobody told that rock, hey, we're going we're gonna to move you over here. Mm-mm. Right? Or that mountain, that that mountain just stands in that mountain. Like, even, even when we build and uh, create roads, it's like, Hey, you want to put a road through right here? And that mountain says, no, you're not. That mountain, which, by the way, is a giant rock. And that mountain says, you can go around me. Or, or maybe you can go over, but I'm not moving. And into the Eastern mindset that when Jesus says, I am, it is packed with meaning. And that they have these physical images. And so it's hard for us because we're so fast. We're so like, come on, let's move this along. Let's get it done. But uh, we just need to pray that we can slow down um, and actually see what the Lord is, this picture of Jesus that he's painting. Because in the same way that these physical images have different layers of meaning, right? In the same way, it's very possible uh, for us to see but not see, for us to hear but not hear. You know the Bible speaks about that, that that there's times that that someone can say, hey, the Lord is like a rock, He's like a mountain, and you can go, oh, yeah, yeah, got it, got it. But there's this depth to it, this greater understanding, this greater intimacy that the Lord actually wants with us and for us. And one of the problems is that some of these things we're going to be familiar with, and familiarity can make us miss the main point. 
some of these I am statements, we're going to have heard it and we're going to say, yeah, I get that, right? Because we're so used to it. Like we're going to hear the phrase, I am the bread of life. And we're going to think, yeah, bread, I have bread all day, every day. It's no big deal. We have 35 types of bread. You want whole wheat, no wheat, half wheat, gluten-free, extra gluten. Do you want thin sliced, regular sliced? There's a thing called Texas sliced, which is just fatter bread, <laughs> right? But, and, we, and we can become so familiar with it that we miss the point. So here's the main point of the I am's is, is here, please hear me is to help us just know Jesus better. The more we see who He is, the more it allows us to become more and more like Jesus. And so this process of becoming more and more like Jesus, also let me say this, it's a lot slower than I want it to be, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read this. This is Paul speaking. He says, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the lord that's second corinthians 3:18 and so it's this image of people coming to know the lord and there are these degrees of glory in which we are being transformed into the person of jesus you you know that story overnight that someone goes from uh you know being a meth addict and selling coke and running illegal cockfights in the back of their uh, vehicle and they don't have insurance. You know what I mean? And overnight they come to know Jesus and you know this story that they, bam, and all of a sudden they're 1,000%. Don't believe that. They haven't arrived. They're Every person I know, it's this slow process of slowly being transformed into the person of Jesus. And this is why we want to study the I am's is because we want to know this man. We want to know Jesus. And again, guys, I'm just I'm saying this is a lot slower process than I'd like. So what I want to do something right now, and we've done this a couple times, is I want to pause and I want us to pray together as a church, okay? And I want us I want you to pray selfishly for yourself. Okay, um, this is not, yeah, there's always times to pray for others and to pray for your neighbors, but I want you to pray intimately right now, Lord, help me to recognize who Jesus is. Help me to know him more. Help me that, that when I listen to what he says that I can walk away and say, I know him deeper than maybe I ever have. And so let's take a minute. I want you to pray silently to yourselves, and I'm going to pray as well. Let's pray this, and then we're going to continue about talking about the I am's. God, we just pray that you would give us ears to hear and you would give us eyes to see and help us to help us to know you more. Help us to have greater fellowship uh, with you. Lord, change our hearts, not just our behavior. God, change our hearts, not just our behavior. This is our prayer. Amen. 
Okay, so what I'd like you to do is I want you to go to Acts chapter 19. We haven't even gone to John yet. We'll get there in just a second. Before we do, I want to point out, uh, give a word of warning. You know the Bible's full of warning passages, okay? And those, those warning passages are there for our good. Um, and, and one of the warnings uh, we're going to get to is this idea of uh, knowing Jesus versus knowing about Jesus. And as you're heading to Acts chapter 19, I'd like to talk to you about a guy. His name is Lloyd Catlett. Lloyd uh, graduated Greenville High School in 1969, which is right around here. Um, he studied at East Texas State University and graduated in 1974. He was a math teacher, a high school math teacher, um, and he did that for 30-plus uh, years until he retired. Um, in January, 14, or, or Jan January 2014, he did retire, um, but even still, sometimes he'll sub at the local high schools, okay? Uh, Lloyd seems to be, a, a, he is a great guy. He, one thing he loves to do is he likes to go online and, and play cards with his daughter and her husband online because they don't live in town um, anymore. He loves mowing his own yard despite even though he's kind of older uh, and retired. Um, he's an avid woodworker. He's in, he's in one of my online woodworking uh, Facebook groups, okay? Don't judge me. It's just what I do. Uh, he makes these beautiful cutting boards, and then he goes and he sells them at the farmer's uh, market. And he and his wife, they've got a couple dogs. And, and right now, he's trying to get out and be a little more active, um, and he's trying to walk his dogs a couple times um, a week. And you can see he has a passion uh, for doing that. Now, here's the thing about Lloyd. I've never met the guy in my entire life. Uh, here's the thing about Lloyd. Until... 9 p.m. last night, I didn't know he existed. Here's the thing about Lloyd. He has no idea that I exist. Nothing. I do not know him. As I was sitting here describing him, how many people thought, oh, this is a guy Russell knows? Anyone? Yeah. Okay. I kn I've never, and again, I doubt that he'll watch this on Facebook, but he just might and be like, who is this guy? How does he know so much about me? All I did was Facebook stalk him for 10 minutes. And in that 10 minutes, do you see what I did? I got all this information about him. And, and what I'm also doing is I'm also describing most of our relationships is that most of us, uh, when we talk about actually knowing someone, the truth is we, we really know a lot about people, but I don't, I don't know Lloyd, right? But I could, I could walk up to him out of nowhere and say, hey man, how are those end grain cutting boards going at the farmer's market? Have you been selling any, right? I could hold a conversation. I could, I could go up to him and say, hey, how are your dogs doing? Are you getting to walk them a couple times a week? I could comfortably make it appear as if I know the guy, but the reality is I don't. I don't know him at all. And so this is, this is the warning I wanted to say and why we're getting into these I am statements of Jesus is because if we're not cautious, if we're not aware, it's very possible for us to know a lot about someone, specifically Jesus Christ, but actually have no relationship with him at all. Are you following me on that? It's very, very possible. Um, and so look in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, what I want to point out, and, and, and I'm not trying to be mean. I always at least just want to be honest. I'm about to describe the majority of most people's relationship with Jesus. Okay, Acts chapter 19, uh, just start in verse 1. We'll just read 
Um, Start in verse 13, I'm sorry. This is Paul in Ephesus. He's doing incredible works there. So verse 13 of chapter 9, it says, Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits and tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest were doing this one day now listen i'm about to describe uh, i shouldn't say most i'm about to describe some people's relationship with jesus right here listen to this one day the evil spirit answered them jesus i know and i know about paul but who are you Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating, they all ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So one of the things I love about this story is if you know anything about guys, anytime they get in a fight, like like two guys could be in a fight and you could break them up and one of the guys could literally be on the ground in the fetal position crying, covered in blood, getting pummeled, And you could pull the other guy off of him. And if I know anything about men, that guy on the ground would say, I was just about to make my move. Why'd you break it up? Or or it's something like, that's how I fight. I was going to wear him out and then make, you know, or or even that guy on the ground could say say stuff like, I got a few good hits in. He'll feel it tomorrow, right? Y'all know these about guys, right? That guys never lose fights when you break them up. But this is one of the things I love about this story. If you go into a fight wearing pants... And if you come out of the fight not wearing said pants, there's no such thing as I was about to make my move. It's not, it's not like that's how I fight. Oh, you want to fight? All right. <laughs> Let's do this. It's like, no, it's you lost the fight. There's no recovering for that. So that's one thing I love about this because it, there is no question about who had the greater authority. This, these people who are not believers, or this demon. There's no question about who is the greater authority. And the second thing that I hope you notice, he said, look at that. He says, Jesus, what? He says, I know. He says, yeah, I know, I know who Jesus is, right? Or there's another story where, uh, where Jesus goes and he sees a man who's possessed by demons. And, you, and I think you'll know this story, is that the man runs up and he says, my name is Legion. And this, the demon looks at Jesus and says, I know who you are. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, have you come to destroy us before the appointed time? So listen, guys, these are demonic forces that they know things about Jesus. They know that he's the Son of God. They know that he will come and destroy them. They know who the authority is. And you'll also notice Jesus never, or the demons never argue with Jesus ever, because they are absolutely insubordinate compared to him. And so this is what I said, and again, I'm not trying to be mean, I just want to be honest. I have just described many people's relationship with Jesus, is they know that he's the son of God, that that, that they know that he wins in the end. They know that he died on the cross. Listen, guys, that's a historical fact, But, but it's not about knowing things about him, it's about knowing 
him. And when we say, I believe in Jesus, it is not, I believe in these historical facts. The example I always use is for me to say, I believe Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States. Well, of course I believe that, because that's a historical fact. But, but this idea of to believe in Jesus means that we have entrusted ourselves for salvation. That's what the original Greek means when it talks about believe in Jesus. Last thing, go to John chapter uh, 20. I told you we'd get to John eventually. And again, we're just kind of introducing Jesus in these I am statements that he's saying, hey, I, I want you to know, or really John is saying this. He's saying, I want you to know who Jesus is. I want you to not just know about about him, but I want you to truly see who he is. So John chapter 20, this is the end of his gospel. John has written this gospel. It's written later than all the other gospels. And the thing I like about John, remember he was one of the apostles and he was the apostle whom Jesus loved. And so he was very close with Jesus, very close. And so at the end of his gospel, uh, John chapter 20, look at verse 30. John says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples. And so when you read uh, John, one of the things you, I want you to look for is the word sign. In the, in the Gospel of John, he doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. Now think about this. What does a sign do? Points to something else. That's what a sign does. A sign does not do this. Look at me. Now, granted, I'm getting old, and I'm at that point that when I go to visit places, I take pictures of the signs now. I don't know when it happened. You know how old people do that? There's the plaque that has the information, and I'm like, oh, that's a good sign. And I take a picture of it. Now, remember, if, if like, for example, next November, we're going back to Israel. Come with us if you want to. This will be our, my fourth trip. It's awesome. All over Israel, there are these plaques, there are these signs, and you know, you walk up, and, and you walk up, and this sign tells you about what? It says, hey, I'm, I just want to give you some information, but don't sit here and stare at the sign. What does the sign do? It says, the purpose of this sign is to what? Point to something greater, right? And so anyways, as you study the book of John, they're called signs, they're not called miracles, and these signs are not meant to point at themselves, they're meant to point to something greater than themselves. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. So this is John saying, this is why I wrote this gospel. This is why I have the seven I am statements of Jesus. This is why John has included uh, seven miraculous signs in the book of John. This is why John has recorded seven confessions of people confessing Jesus as the Christ. By the way, the number for completeness is what? Seven. And so John's gospel is the trinity of completeness. Seven, seven, seven. Seven miraculous signs. Seven confessions of Christ. Seven I am statements. Anything that falls below completion is um, incomplete. Like the number six, six, six. That's not a coincidence, by the way. But these are written that you may, what's the word? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and, and don't stop there, look, and that by believing you may have, what's the word? 
life in his name. So hear me say this. Belief is not the end. And, and I, I compare it, belief to this idea of knowing about Jesus. I know a lot about Lloyd Catlett, but I do not know him. I believe that Lloyd Catlett went to Greenville High School in 1969, but, but, uh, but I don't have life in his name. And so please do not miss this. I think so many believers miss this, that we, that we make belief the end. We, we say, yes, I said the prayer. I did the thing. Do you believe Jesus died on the Yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Yeah, N- now what? And we aren't experiencing the life that Jesus offers. And as you read the Gospel of John, one of the words you're going to see over and over is life, life, life. He says, I have come so that you may have life and have it to the, what's the word? Fullest, that you may experience the fullness of Life and so this is one of the things I'm just I'm, I want us to pray about as we explore this is that we want to see what does Jesus say about Himself. We want to know not about Him, but we want to know Him. Right? Paul says in Philippians three that part where he says, "I want to know Christ and the fellowship of His sufferings." Right? It's this uh, it's this image of. You know, Jesus and his church is this image of a bride and her uh, groom. And they, they, there's a day where they become united, which is their wedding day. And, and she takes on a new name and she has a new authority. And, and her old life is gone and she has now a new life uh, with this new name. But especially in our culture, we put all the emphasis on the wedding and we put almost no emphasis on the marriage, Right? And, and as a Christian, please remember, the wedding is extremely important, but do not neglect the marriage, right? And this is this image that we see is that he's constantly, uh, John is going to be constantly pushing us into, and Paul does it the same thing. He says, I want you to experience the fellowship of this marriage, because I know plenty of people that are married, but they're miserable, that they are, they are united, but they are not in fellowship with one another, right? And on the other side, I, and this is so great, is I know people who, are, who have been married 40, 50, 60 years, and every single day it's like they discover something new about each other. And they are constantly knowing, and hear that word, they're constantly knowing each other deeper and deeper. And it's not just this surface level, but there is a constant growing of fellowship in deepness in their relationship. And this is what John wants for us. This is what Jesus wants for us. This is what Paul wants for us. And this is why in this gospel, when Jesus says, I am, that we may not be people that just take it at surface level and skip off of it, but that we would take it deeper and deeper so that we could be people that know Jesus more and more so that he can transform our hearts, not just our behavior, okay? And, and one of the reasons I say that is because some people, I'd, I'd probably say all of us, are enslaved in some way. Like we are enslaved to this thing. And so we'll use an example. It's an easy one, just an alcoholic if the alcoholic wakes up every day and he is enslaved to alcoholism and he says, I have to have a drink, he's not walking in freedom, right? Now, and, and uh, I say this a lot, now if he one day decides and says, I'm going to stop drinking, and he puts so much rigor and discipline in his life and he sets up barriers and he goes two years without having a drink, but every single day he yearns 
His heart burns to drink. Is that man free? No. Because now his slave master used to be, I have to have a drink. Now his new slave master is, you cannot have a drink. You see that? And and neither one of those are freedom. Versus what Jesus wants to do is, rather than just focus on behavior, he wants to change our hearts. Freedom is found in when this man wakes up every day and he says, I could have a drink of alcohol, but you know what? I don't really want to. That is freedom. It's not behavior modification. And this is what we always pray for our hearts. We really do. Because when you, when you go from I have to have a drink to I absolutely cannot have a drink, all you've done is walked out of one prison cell and walked into another one. And this other prison cell is bigger, nicer, fancier, and more people are going to applaud you for being in this prison cell. But you're still, you're still enslaved. You're still enslaved. And Jesus says, I've come so that you can have life and have it to the fullest. Um, and that, golly, that's what I want. I want that in my life. I hope you, I hope you guys do too, Right? I hope you don't just sit there and, well, this is as good as it gets. Please. That's a very resounding response that I was expecting. No, but you know what I mean? Gosh, I pray that we are people that we say, Jesus, give me freedom from this. Lord Jesus, I want to be more like you. I want to walk in deeper fellowship. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for uh, your word. God, thank you for the Bible. God, thank you that it's living and active. Lord, thank you that... Uh, when Jesus says, I am, he's not saying I was, but he's even now, today, he's saying I am. And so I pray that as we, as we spend time walking through, what did Jesus say about himself? Um, I pray that we would be people that we just keep digging deeper and deeper, and that we would go in deeper and deeper fellowship with Jesus, not for the sake of saying that we've done it, Uh, but because that's where life is found. I pray that we'd be people of life and of light and of freedom and joy. That's what I just want out of my life. Maybe it's selfish. Maybe I'm just completely self-absorbed, but Lord, I want freedom and I want life and I want joy. And and I, I really do believe it can only be found in you. I don't know where else to go. The world promises it, but it's never come through. Not once. Gosh, the world promises it, but it has never come through on its promise. Not a single time. And so, God, we just pray that as you speak, we would receive it. We pray that it would stay with us. We pray that we would slow down. Lord, help us just to slow down just a little bit and that we would allow you to change our hearts. I believe you're still doing miracles. I really do. I really do. And the biggest, I think the greatest miracle on earth is when you change hearts. And so we want to see hearts uh, change. Lord, we want to see lives change. We want to see hearts change. Somebody say amen. Like, God, we want, we want to see hearts absolutely transformed. We want to see lives completely go from darkness to light. We want to see people that have, that have said, hey, I've, I have walked with this struggle for 30 years. And because of Jesus Christ, because of knowing Him, not knowing about Him, because of knowing Him, I am free. I am free to have a drink of alcohol, and I'm also free to not have a drink of alcohol. I'm not enslaved. I have freedom. 
And so this is our uh, prayer, Jesus. We pray for miracles. God, we pray for miracles. And I believe you still do them. Um, And so this is our prayer. Amen.